0: The following episode was recorded live on YouTube for Adulting.TV Live.
1: Welcome to Adulting, a podcast where we want to adult every day. Download episodes at Adulting.TV.
0: Welcome to Adulting.tv Live. I'm Harlan. I'm here with Miranda. It's been a while since we've done one of these, so I'm excited to do this. Our guest today is Doug Nordman. How are you doing, Doug? Doing great. It's
1: uh, good to see you guys.
0: It's good to see you, too. Can you tell us a little bit about you?
1: Yeah. uh, I've been financially independent uh, with my spouse since the late 1990s. Uh, I did uh, 20 years in the U.S. Navy Submarine Force. And then uh, after we reached financial independence, I retired from active duty in 2002. Uh, my wife is a Navy Reservist, and uh, she retired a little bit later on. We've, I've been retired for 15 years, and uh, we've lived in Hawaii since 1989. Uh, financial independence has been very good for us.
0: So what is financial independence?
1: Well, for us, it just means having enough money to live your life the way you want to live your life. You don't need to work for cash to pay the bills. You've got enough investments. In my case, uh, military retiree from active duty, I've got a pension that's being paid right now. And so I've got some steady income coming in every month that takes care of the mortgage and buys the groceries. And of course, we're living off of our savings, our investments for the rest of our expenses.
2: So how did you get to this point that, I mean, you're talking about your saving, you're living off of your savings, your investments, as well as your pension. So how did you get to this point where you feel confident that your investments are going to provide enough for you to live off of?
1: Well, confidence is something that you can't always be 100% sure, but uh, we had a high savings rate for most of the time that we were on active duty in the Navy. And by high savings rate, I mean, if you save 40% of all your gross income for 15 to 20 years, you'll reach financial independence. Uh, Of course, if you have a higher savings rate, it takes less time, a lower savings rate, well, you'll you'll be working longer. And when we reached financial independence, I was very close to retirement from active duty. So I stuck on active duty for a couple more years and then retired when you retire and declare your your financial independence you're figuring out how you want to spend your money probably for the rest of your life and a couple of interpretations of that i use the four percent safe withdrawal rate Uh, that's the academic study that says that if you start out with a portfolio and withdraw four percent of it every year you can probably raise that uh, with inflation for every year after that and you're probably pretty confident it's going to last for 30 years that's what all the computer simulations say Human beings, of course, are a little different. We don't spend like computers, and we don't religiously raise our spending every year for inflation. So by spending a little less during a bear market and by having a little extra cash and for expenses in case there is a bear market, uh, our first 10 years, we were a little more conservative than the 4% SWR. And now that I've been retired for 15 years, uh, our portfolio has grown big enough now that we're almost bulletproof. Uh, Our withdrawal rate these days is... Two to three percent after after 15 years, and and now that it's that low, the longevity of the portfolio, the survival rate goes way out there, 50, 60 years, probably going to be longer than I last. So I'm not worried about that anymore. But awesome. to financial independence right at the start, they are a little concerned.
2: Yeah. So now you talk about you know being ready for a bear market and. You know, you say you, know, you reached financial independence in the 90s. So I'm assuming that your financial independence survived the 2000 crash and, and of course, the 2008 crash. And so uh, what are some of the things, I mean, you talked about having that lower, lower withdrawal rate, but what sort of lifestyle, because uh, you did, you talked about, hey, you know, you're setting your spending for the rest of your life if you're going to retire early. So what are some of the things that you had to do with your lifestyle to sort of account for that and make sure that you remain financially independent rather than having to maybe go back to work?
1: Well, for the first few years, I retired in June of 2002. So the market bottomed in that recession on October of 2002. So here we were, two newbie, financially independent people, not sure we ever wanted to work again. And the first thing that happens is it makes it look as if we're not going to survive. And there were some tense discussions in October. Uh, Two things that we learned to do when we retired in 2002. One thing we had done uh, accidentally was to have a, a couple years of expenses in cash. And by that, I mean that we had forecast our spending in retirement, and we figured out at the time we needed about $40,000 a year, and we happened to have about $80,000 in CDs and money markets so that we could continue to spend that, we didn't have to spend any of the money from our investment portfolio. We would spend it from the cash first. And that gives you two years to survive a bear market. And we thought, well, this works pretty well. Let's try this for a while. And when we got to the Great Recession in 2008, again, uh, we had some pretty tense discussions in early 2009, but we had that cash buffer of two years of our spending in cash, still in money markets and CDs. We had just kept replenishing it over the years. When the market started to go down again, we started to use up that cash buffer, and we used almost all of it by the time the market turned around and started to come back up. And again, you would think that in the second recession, you get more accustomed to that, and you know it's easier to ride out. And you're happy. Half- no, that wasn't the case. The second recession felt just as bad as the first one. But as we were nearing the end of our cash stash, and we're getting ready to spend part of our investment portfolio, as as the 4% safe withdrawal rate rules have you do, uh, the market turned around and things got better. Our portfolio has grown, our investments have grown so much since 2008. They've almost doubled since 2008, to the point now where we're barely spending what the dividends would be from our investments, along with my military pension. So we had a plan for the 4% safe withdrawal rate right at the beginning. After two recessions, after 15 years, you get past that vulnerability of the 4% safe withdrawal rate system. It's called the sequence of returns risk. You get past that, and you're probably pretty good. In our case, that's exactly what's happening. We're really good now.
0: So one of the things that you said struck me, having two years of expenses saved up, I think that's probably the point where a lot of our listeners are thinking, there is no way that i can ever do that and no way i will ever be financially independent and no way that this this i have any possibility of ever doing anything i want with my life so how do we get to the point where how what did you do specifically to get to the point where you have 2 years of expenses saved up and ready to go so you don't you know if if you if you chose not to work for 2 years you would have nothing to worry about
1: it's all part of your asset allocation, and so you choose your asset allocation. And When you have two years' expenses saved up in cash, what I mean is we had about 8% of our asset allocation in, in money markets and CDs, and so we started out with a portfolio that was mostly stocks, about 90% stocks, and 92%, I guess, would be the number, and the rest of that was in cash, and so instead of selling the shares from the stock portfolio, we are cashing in the other 8%. Now, at the end of the year, after a regular year, if the stock market went up, or even if the stock market was flat, we'd sell some shares from our investment portfolio and replenish that two-year stash of cash. And then after the Great Recession came, we started chewing into that cash instead of replenishing our, our cash stash. Instead of selling shares to replenish it, when the market's down, we would just spend the cash. So that was what we were consuming, was that 8% of our investment portfolio that was dedicated to cash, CDs, money markets. And then at the end of the uh, bear market, at the end of the Great Recession in 2009, as we were running out of cash and looking and trying to pick and choose the shares we wanted to sell next, the markets began to recover, and our dividend income came back up from the parts of our stock portfolio that issues dividends, and life got back to normal. And, and after another year of that, we were, we were high enough up in the stock market. You remember the recovery of 2010 and 11. We had enough that we were able to sell shares and replenish that two-year mm-hmm. cash stash. And now that we've been financially independent for 15 years, I'm starting to spend down that cash stash. We're not going to keep a, a large amount of cash for two years' expenses anymore. It was just to get through that first decade when you have to worry about the risk of having that kind of a bear market happen.
0: Let's go back even further. Okay. I really want to know how what you did to save up initially. and How did you have such a high savings rate?
1: We didn't have a lot of fun. Now, when I was on active duty, uh, you're starting your Navy career, you're an ensign, an 01, and you're just starting out in your training and your knowledge. You, you've got a college degree, but you've got no wisdom or experience about how your part of the Navy works. And in my case, when I showed up in my uh, first training command, I was given a three-inch stack uh, paper and told to get a piece of uh, knowledge in just about every page and uh, go through 18 months of training before I was trusted to go on board a submarine. So you're spending a tremendous amount of time in the early part of your Navy career just learning your job and and practicing and getting qualified and advancing your your understanding. So there's not a lot of free time. And when there's not a lot of free time, you're not spending money. And also, my wife was also active duty at the time. So we were trying to live off of one of our incomes and save the others. And that gave you a 50% savings rate for most of our career. There were times when we would drop down for bigger expenses and other times we'd be able to save a little more. It depended on whether one of us was on sea duty and at sea all the time and never spending money or whether we were both on shore duty and starting a family, you know, those expenses have and flow as your type of duty changes. But we managed to save pretty consistently 40 to 50% of our gross income for those 17, 18 years that it took us to reach financial independence.
0: Yeah. I know you focus on the military, but we find that those of us who are not in the military have more free time on our hands. So what can we do to in, uh, increase our savings rate?
1: Well, it's, I, I talk about this with my readers. I, I wrote a book, The Military Guide to Financial Independence and Retirement. And in there, I tell people, start by tracking your spending. However you do it, just figure out where every penny goes. You know, maybe that's a piece of paper and a pencil. Maybe that's uh, software on your computer. Maybe that's an app on your smartphone. But track your spending. And and don't go on a spending diet or a no-spend starvation period. Just track the spending and see where the money goes. After a couple of months, you'll be able to look back on your spending history and figure out what you're doing with your spending that brings value to your life. And if you decide that you're spending money appropriately and that's what you're going to be for your expenses, well, maybe you need more income to raise your savings rate. But Almost every time that somebody tracks their spending and looks at their, their expenses, after a couple of months of that, they look back and say, wow, I'm, I'm wasting my money on, and it's whatever category they feel is a waste. Maybe they feel like they're spending too much money on rent or on car payments or on alcohol or on dining out or entertainment, whatever it might be. Uh, I know some people will say, well, I'm not going to spend money on travel because that brings me no value. Meanwhile, there are other people who say, well, I'm going to save everything I can to go on travel. After that couple of months of reviewing your expenses, you'll figure out what's important to you. You'll cut out the waste, and not only will you cut out the waste, but the stuff that you're going to spend your money on, you're going to be willing to work for that. That that tells you that it's valuable to you. If you're willing to continue working for that expense to be able to support that, that hobby or that activity, then you know you're not wasting that money, and you know that brings value to your life. And so at some point, you've trimmed your expenses and cut back and gotten very frugal, and you're very good at, at saving money, and maybe your savings rate is getting higher. After that, you can't Cut back more than you've already cut back by being frugal, so you end up having to figure out how to raise your income. Uh, and again, my background is the military, so you know if you go on with this for three or four years, by that point you've gotten a couple of pay raises and maybe you've gotten a couple of promotions and you're getting more money and life is good. And if you can continue to live like that, poor college student, or live one pay raise below your current earnings, then that'll help you raise your savings rate. Uh, one of the catchphrases that we always see around the military is. Save 1% more every year. Just keep raising your saving rate every year. And pretty, pretty soon people get into it and start raising their savings rate even more. I mean, they might start out at 10 or 15%, but we all get competitive about things like that when we're enjoying being frugal and saving and investing. And so you eventually try to get as high a savings rate as you can.
0: What are some of the things that you wanted to save for? What was important to you and and really uh, inspired the uh, the high savings rate?
1: No, For us, it was being more in control of our time. I, the really, the biggest issue was having more control over our lives and more control over our time and not working 50, 60, sometimes 70-hour weeks in the military and being able to travel more if we wanted to or being able to live our lives the way we wanted to. So that was one goal, is to have money for this this concept of retirement. And early on, we didn't have any clue. This was us saving in the 1980s and uh, retirement was some vague horizon finish line that you would reach in your 50s or 60s and Then we started a family and we wanted to buy a house And so you're saving for those now We all know today that you can raise kids very frugally and just having a baby doesn't mean that you're going to go bankrupt over the expenses of having a family But we also were saving for a house and trying to save money for a down payment and as we kept doing this as we kept that High savings rate going we began to see our portfolio grow and we started doing the math on how much our savings would grow, how much our investments would grow, and then we read the book, Your Money or Your Life, and that puts it all into perspective, right? Uh, I was there in 1993 when that book hit the bookstores and was reading it for the first time then, and at that point, we realized that what we really wanted was we wanted our life energy back. We had, we had enough money to live. We could continue working for more money, but what we really wanted is to have our lives back and have control over our time.
0: Where are you right now?
2: it's a great question to ask him
1: (laughs) where's my head at i'm living on oahu in central oahu and uh, we've lived in hawaii since 1989 the navy sent us here and it turned out to be a very good home port for submariners but uh, by the time we got here we had lived all over the world and courtesy of the navy and when we got to hawaii we recognized we had a pretty good deal here
0: Yeah, I was going to ask as well, what are some of the places that you have been able to see or experiences that you've been able to have because of your experience in the Navy?
1: Oh, the the things we did in the Navy, literally, I mean, you've heard the phrase, join the Navy, see the world. And for my first duty station, I had to go up and down the East Coast for the basic training. And then when I went to my first submarine, we were in Charleston, South Carolina. It used to have a Navy base back in the 1980s. And we would use a submarine out of a place in Scotland known as Holy Lock. Again, this was back in the 1980s, and that shut down in the early 90s. But I would travel to Scotland every three months to be on a submarine. We'd spend a month in port getting ready to go to sea, and then we'd spend 90 days at sea. Meanwhile, my spouse, on her active duty, her first duty station was in Rota, Spain, and her second active duty station was in lodges in the Azores Islands. And so, by the time we finished our tours, the next place the Navy sent us was out to California, uh, into the Monterey Bay, literally to Monterey, the Navy has a Naval Postgraduate School there. And that was, that was the best duty station ever. I, I lived in fear that every day the Navy would find out what I was doing and order me to go back to sea duty again, and one day it happened. And we ended up in Hawaii, and doing that tour in Hawaii was great. Uh, we finished that tour, and then we, asked, we were asked to go to San Diego for our following tour, so we saw San Diego and it seemed like every time that we traveled to Hawaii when we were in San Diego every time the plane landed in Hawaii it felt more like coming home than when the plane landed in San Diego and that was a clue um, but when I was on the submarine home ported out of uh, Pearl Harbor of course we went all over the Pacific Japan the Philippines Guam all those rim countries in the Pacific and I had also seen some of the west coast Bangor Washington and uh, Vancouver and a uh, little place called Esquimalt you travel around all those places, and for us, it was cold weather. We like the weather here a lot better than the weather we grew up in in the East Coast. I, 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 if I remember right, you're near Philadelphia. Yeah, that's right. Maryland. Is that right? So uh, okay. I, uh, I joined the Navy because of the weather in Pittsburgh, and then I ended up living in Hawaii because the weather's so nice. <laughs> so
0: how how did some of those experiences in, in those countries kind of inform the way you approach life today?
1: we, We still enjoy traveling. In fact, our daughter grew up with our stories of the Navy and decided that she could get an ROTC scholarship, and she did. Now she's in the Navy herself, and she's serving back her five years of active duty. And we were wondering where she was going to go. We had told her that if you're in the Navy, you should go overseas, and her choices were Yokosuka, Japan, or Rota, Spain. And she ended up in Rota, Spain, and she started that almost exactly 30 years after her mother was stationed in Rota, Spain. So as soon as she got over there and got settled in her Navy house, we went over there to help her hang the pictures and unpack all the boxes. And in 2015, we ended up spending uh, about three and a half, four months in Spain, two separate trips. And then in 2016, again, we really enjoyed traveling for long periods uh, on a slow itinerary. In 2016, we were back in uh, Europe, uh, roaming around Europe with friends. We were there for about uh, 12 weeks. And earlier this year, we uh, spent about seven weeks traveling up and down the East Coast, visiting Carol, who is now stationed in Norfolk, and also visiting family on the East Coast. And we found out, to us, uh, slow travel is really enjoyable. We like having one major trip a year. Uh, people experience living on Oahu and the closest flight to the mainland is five and a half hours. And some people get frustrated with that, having to fly that often. But we feel that if you're going to fly for five and a half hours to the mainland, that you might as well stay on the mainland for a couple of months. And so we really enjoyed picking up slow travel in our retirement during financial independence and and now you know joining the abc the world part is over now it's travel while you still can for us Mm -hmm. and we like that we're we're still looking at you know 2018 japan australia one of those places we'll, we'll figure it out and get around to it
0: were you and your wife always on the same page financially
1: Pretty much. Uh, and initially that, that same page was uh, saving money. Uh, we were both very good at saving money either because we didn't have time to spend it or because we were only spending it on the things that were valuable to us. When uh, when I met my wife in college, she was always a little smarter than, with investments than I was. And when we got married, I really got my education in investing from her. I, before that, i had become very good at saving, but I hadn't figured out anything about it asset allocation, or where to invest your money, and what kind of ex- returns and expenses you should expect. Uh, she had that experience from growing up with her family and being shown that by her parents, and so she uh, started me on a tutorial, and I just started you know, chewing up the, the magazines and investment information that was available back in the 1980s. And, of course, I've stayed with it ever since. I spent a lot of time on that now. That's one of the things that interests me in financial independence is understanding finances and figuring out how to help my daughter and her husband know how they want to do their financial independence journey and also figuring out how I want to invest and how we want to invest for the rest of our lives.
0: What's more fun for you, figuring out investments uh, for yourself and for other people or surfing?
1: Oh, no question. priorities surfing. <laughs> and, and I'll get back to you. No, typically what happens is I have somebody who is on Oahu or somebody visiting Oahu and they want to meet up and sure we can get together for a cup of coffee, but I'd rather get together at White Plains Beach and go surfing. And so we'll go surfing and we'll have a good time. And if they've never surfed before, I'll teach them and they'll be standing on the board. Or, or if they've surfed before, they're saying, wow, surfing in warm water like this, this is pretty nice. But anyway, we eventually get tired and paddle in and sit on the beach. And then we talk about finances and investing and all the things about financial independence. So I get to do both at the, roughly the same time, you know, roughly in the same afternoon. And I enjoy that. But if I only had one choice, I'd, I'd go surfing first.
2: Well, and I was going to kind of wanted to ask, too, though. Harlan as well, since Harlan's kind of financially independent, um, and I'm not. So. Harlan
1: starts earlier than you were right? okay. I know, right? No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, um, you know, because this is actually probably for both of you. I mean, I, I know Doug just surfs all day, and that's what he does. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, how do you fill up the time? Because sometimes I'm like what would I do if I was financially independent how would I fill up the time uh, you know so so how do you decide what you're going to do because you know most of us whatever we do you know we talk about oh well maybe we'll just do nothing all day but most of us really don't want to do nothing all day
1: well I'll start with the advice if you're going to be financially independent and you're going to quit going to work and having people entertain you in the office environment you have to become responsible for your own entertainment You have to figure out, the answer, the question is, what are you going to do all day? And the answer is, whatever you want. Every night is Friday night, every day is Saturday. Those are all the kinds of slogans you hear, and they really don't help you figure out what you're going to do every day. But the way I've designed my life, when I was at the point where I was getting ready to retire, people would ask me, hey, are you going to retire, or are you going to get a job? And what you can't possibly surf all day, can you? And uh, literally on the very first day of my retirement, on the 1st of June, we went down to White Plains Beach and paid a lifeguard $5 each to get surfing lessons. And that's the first time in my life I'd ever surfed. And that's when I found out that I really enjoyed this and started becoming uh, a diehard surfer. And, and that was 15 years ago. The other thing about what are you going to do all day is you pursue your interests. And, and in my case, I tend to wake up a little early. You know, I tend to be the person who's a bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at 5 or 6 in the morning. And so when I'm up and everybody else in the house is still asleep, I'm usually writing. And I enjoy writing something, either uh, answering an email from a reader or a blog post or working on the next book. Uh, I, I can't stop writing. I just lack focus. And so uh, writing isn't necessarily productive. But I will write for half an hour an hour every morning. And I, once I get that out of the way, I feel like I can go play all day and enjoy myself. And after that, there's the surf forecast. I like to go out early in the morning when the... The waves are cleaner and, and a little better quality, and the wind's not so bad. And a lot of my friends are at White Plains Beach at that time of day, so morning surfing. And then you come back, and after that, you've got the same boring old chores. You know, adulting is a great term for that, right? You got to go do clean up, and you got to go maintain something or repair something. Uh, this week, uh, my wife and I we own a, a rental property, and when that rental property it was occupied by tenants up until last Saturday. We had over eight years of occupancy by these tenants and they just moved out last Saturday. So we have a very long list of stuff to fix up and clean up and repair. We've had contractors in there since last Saturday. So I've been really spending five or six hours a day for the last six days going to the rental property and working on stuff. So that's the way my life is now. It's probably going to be like that for another two weeks unless I sneak away in the morning for some surfing. So those things will fill your day and you'll find other interests as you go. You'll never be doing exactly the same thing every day and you may not do the same thing every day for the rest of your life i'm going to surf as long as i can but people grow and change and decide to do different things maybe once one decade will be travel maybe another decade will be volunteering in your community or maybe a combination of those The, the point is that you're in charge of your own entertainment and you get to design your life and you'll figure it out i do i can tell people that I, I do understand that question, what are you going to do all day when you're sitting in the office trying to figure out what you're going to do when you're free? And everybody worries about that. And six months after they stop stopped working for a paycheck and declare their financial independence, they wonder what the heck they were worried about. And has that been in your experience, Harlan?
0: Well, I have never, ever, even prior to being financially independent, had any problem filling my time with things that interested me. I have just always been completely... Busy and most of the time it's busy working on things that. I have no business working on, you know, just things that I, I should be doing other things that are constructive. I should be doing work for people. I should be doing, you know, when I was in school, I should have been doing my schoolwork. I should have been practicing. I was a music education major. There were a lot of things that I needed to be doing. And I tended to, yeah, fill my time doing that, but also any spare time there, there was no such thing as spare time. I just, I just had to do things. I had to, whether it was expressing myself through writing, writing or whether it was just uh, building things online. I I just always had a project and many projects. So for me, when I found myself in a position to stop needing to, you know, I I no longer needed to work for money. It was just, all right, now I can really do all of these projects. And it's, I'm starting to question my life choices, I would like to now fill my life with other things that the things that I have committed myself to prevent me from doing. But uh, you know, it's it's all eventually going to work itself out, and I, I'm not too terribly concerned about it. Uh, you know, there there are things I'd like to do more of, more travel, more spending time with family and loved ones, and I would really like to get to that point. And you know, these it's it's all based on the choices I've made, and I'm still okay with it. But I know that. I will have opportunities to shift as I want, as I feel like I want to shift. Uh, So I haven't done a lot of the things that some of the um, other financially independent people I know, you know, the first thing they did was they went off on a big vacation or something like that. And I still haven't done that. I haven't gotten to that point yet. Maybe, maybe I will after I am done with a few projects, but, it's still on my list. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I've just been enjoying having the ability to choose, uh, the things that I work on. Although I'm sometimes, uh, second guessing some of those
1: choices, (laughs) (laughs) but you get to redesign it all the time.
0: Yes. It's every day, you know, I wake up and I decide, well, these are the things that I've committed to. These are the things I'm going to do. These are the things I want to do in addition to that. And I just find a way to make it work.
1: Miranda, I find when I go to FinCon that I get really swept up in the excitement and the camaraderie and the group environment, and I end up accepting the offer to do a guest post or a podcast or a video for about 12 different people while I'm at FinCon. And so the worst part of my year is that first month after FinCon where I wake up with <laughs> a hangover and say, what did I sign up for? <laughs> you can still, even if you're experienced at managing your own time, I've got 15 years of that now, you can still suck at it. You can still uh, overfit it.
0: Yeah, the dangerous piece is definitely getting together with, with a bunch of people who are also fully in charge of their lives because you start brainstorming about all these things you want to do together and, and and how you can work together or how you can do something fun, and all of that happens at what at that one time a year, and then the months after that are filtering everything through and seeing what sticks, and most things don't stick
1: anyway. So. <laughs> all right, then it's time to look forward to next year's meeting. <laughs> yes
2: yeah so so that's good it's giving me some really good ideas for that day when i reach financial independence if it comes well,
1: I'll, <laughs> I'll point out too that when we when we declared our financial independence retirement, we we're still parents and our right. daughter was in school and then there was high school and then there was the college surge and even even when she left for college you know, we kind of thought that was our emancipation and our empty nesting but we tended to plan our lives still around the college schedule. You know, we'd make sure we were home for Christmas break mm. or summer break, and we'd go to family's weekend in September or whatever. And, and it wasn't really until she graduated from college and we all waved goodbye as she drove off to her first duty station. That's when it really hit us that we really were free to go and live our lives and be grown ups and, and she hasn't been home in Oahu here. She hasn't been back to Hawaii for three and a half years. Now, she's gonna go fix that later on, like in uh, December this year, but it'll be the first time she's been back since college.
2: That's awesome. Yeah. One of the things that I found is, you know, even though I don't meet that definition of financial independence, I do like that. I work from home, so I kind of get to set my own schedule. Um, my son and I just came back from a trip to Europe and, you know, where we were able to do that. So I think that there are some different ways that you can kind of organize your life and and kind of do what you love, even if you're not completely financially independent.
1: I know, I know, two families that uh, travel with, you know, kids in diapers and diapers and baby carriers, and they're all over Europe and the rest of the world. And I know another family; uh, they've declared their financial independence, but they've got three kids and, in school still. So they did spend the summer, you know, wandering around Europe and had a really good time. But now it's time to get back home and get back to school.
0: Okay, you said declare financial independence. What does it mean to declare financial independence? How is that different than just being financially independent?
1: Well, you'll you'll be sitting in your cubicle one day and the heavens will open up above you and the lights will shine and the trumpets will sound. But what happens is you come home one day from uh, what you've heard is a good day in the stock market and you sit down and you check your portfolio and you go, holy cow, look at what we've got. And, And the tripwire is when you expect that your expenses are going to be a certain amount of money and you have 25 times the portfolio as your expenses. Once you reach that 25 times your expenses in your assets, That's the tripwire for the 4% safe withdrawal rate and for your financial independence. And and from there, you're going to start your retirement spending, your financial independence lifestyle. And and the first thing everybody does in financial independence is go and do a, a completely thorough scrub of all their expenses. They start all over again and start from zero and figure out their real retirement expenses because they're not going to work anymore. So even though you reach 25 times, you don't stomp into the boss's office and quit the next day. Some people feel like they need to work for a higher cushion. Maybe they want to have a bigger portfolio. Maybe they want to live off of a 3% dividend on their portfolio and their stocks. Uh, I've known people who invest in the total stock market and want to have a 2% withdrawal rate, which is pretty much bulletproof uh, of anything uh, less than a meteor strike. Uh, some people will get to 25 times their expenses and cut back on work. You know, Start going part-time, maybe two, three days a week, maybe only one day a week, and keep that pace going until eventually they just stop showing up for work. So 25 times your expenses in assets is a great tripwire, but then you have to figure out how you want to live your life, what you want to do with that, how you want to draw down your time and your, your habits and start your financial independence. In my case, in the case of the military, if you retire from the military, you really have no choice. You get told that on the first of the month, whatever the month is, you've got orders that say you consider yourself retired, so you have to stop showing up for work but you might pursue your interests and start a bridge career. You might find another job or volunteering or even paid employment. And so it gives you the freedom and the choices and the chances to do the things you want to do and design your life. But it doesn't mean that you're never, ever again allowed to ever earn another dollar for the rest of your life. And we see that a lot on forums and websites and discussion boards where people argue about whether you're really financially independent if you feel like you have to go earn money. Uh, the answer is if you reach that tripwire, then you can design a life that is probably going to have your finances last longer than your longevity.
0: How long do you think it should take somebody to become financially independent once they decide that that's something that they want to do?
1: I've seen people do it in as little as five years. Uh, Jacob Lund Fisker of extreme early retirement, an emphasis on the word extreme there. Uh, even, even the other subreaders look at uh, what he did and managed to save as much as he did and as fast as he did it and they, they think that's a little, uh, uh, deprivation. Other people will be quite content to uh, work and continue working until they reach their 50s or 60s just strictly because they enjoy working or because they find the work challenging and fulfilling and if, if you find that going to an office and and doing the work you do and taking care of people or working on a mission or a role and that's challenging and fulfilling and, and give you money for it, well, that's what you should keep doing as long as it's challenging and fulfilling. So it's all across the spectrum. Uh, what, what is a problem is when you find yourself spending every penny as soon as it comes in uh, when you're leading essentially a consumerism lifestyle and you're not putting any money away for retirement. And the assumption is, well, I'll just keep working until my 60s or oh, my dad worked until he was 70 and I'll do the same thing. Uh, that leaves you no margin of safety, no room for error. If some crisis comes up with family or your health, then you have absolutely no safety net. And I would encourage that. But, again, I, I tell people, especially in the military, we're notorious for retiring or for leaving active duty and immediately jumping into another career. And I tell people, if you enjoy what you're doing, then keep doing it. But as soon as the fun of active duty stops, well, you should get out of active duty and go into the reserves or Go into the National Guard and do part-time military. One week in a month and two weeks a year is the catchphrase. And if that's not fun, then it's time to really get out of the military. Don't don't just gut it out for twenty years. Don't just grimly clench your jaw and stick with it. Uh, that's that's we know from experience. We know that's risking your your physical and your mental and even your emotional health. And so you do it what's challenging and fulfilling. People are afraid to get out of the military. People are afraid to give up a job, and give up a paycheck, when what they really should think about is switching a career and trying something that they enjoy doing more that doesn't bring a lot of light stress.
0: I'm definitely a strong believer of getting out of situations that are not just unfulfilling, but even damaging or hurtful to you, whether that's a relationship or whether it's a job or whatever it happens to be. You just have to get out of those situations. They say, you know, you've committed to something, you should stick it out. But really, if your mental health is being affected by it, and, and certainly your finances are being affected by it, and get out of it. And uh, sometimes it took me too long to make that decision for myself. Um, there's, but,
1: there's a very fine line between persistence and stubbornness. And, yeah. Uh, many times, yes.
0: No, often people feel a duty to, you know, they say, I've committed to this job, you know, I am a bad person if I don't live out that commitment, even if it's killing me inside. And, I, yep. you know, you can't do that. So is there anything else that you would say to somebody say say someone who's you know living paycheck to paycheck and really doesn't see the light at the end of the tunnel how how can they be convinced that yes even they can be financially independent
1: Well, part of it is the attitude if if they feel like they've deserve this spending, they've earned this money they need to spend it, that, that's a, a financial situation that's probably rooted in some kind of way you were raised or some kind of feeling about money that you would eventually want to change. I don't try to persuade people of that because uh, you can lecture and admonish all day and it really doesn't work out. You know the saying, when the student is ready, finally ready, the teacher has been waiting there patiently all along tapping their foot. And that's the way it is when people realize they want to start saving for financial independence. And usually it's because they wake up one day and they realize they're tired of the lifestyle they have. It reminds me of that commercial about four or five years ago where it showed a man riding around on his lawn, on his tractor uh, mower as he was working on his grass grass, talking about all the things he had in his life. And then back of the commercial, he said, and I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. Somebody, please help me. Eventually, <laughs> Eventually, you get tired of living that way. you get tired of car payments, the credit card debt, whatever consumer debt you have in and lifestyle. And eventually, one day you want to change and don't know how yes. and that's when I say track your spending and then at the end of a couple of months, cut out the waste and then as you start accumulating excess income at the end of the month, maybe you'll do something with guidelines like Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University or total money makeover. maybe you'll get out of debt by reading some other website or blog but that's the next step is to get out of debt. And Once you get out of debt, now the step is to start saving and investing. And If you don't like your job, uh, that's a, a different conversation about learning different skills or learning how to switch your careers. But uh, with many people, the first step is getting out of debt so that you have a little breathing room, that you have a little cash cushion that you will need to change careers or go try a retraining or whatever you decide to do. I can't tell people that's what they have to do, but I can certainly be there when they get discouraged, and that's – i got plenty of emails from people that have gotten discouraged with the way they're living their lives and they're trying to improve on it. And I get more and more every year. So there must be more and more people becoming aware, especially in the military, that they can reach financial independence before they've served 20 years in the military. I I, I tell people that even if you only join the military for four years or six years, just one obligation, you gain all the skills, all the life skills you'll need To be able to pursue financial independence, all the discipline and motivation, that's already there, and all you have to do for that is just execute, and the execution is usually boring, and it depends on your savings rate, and you can look at websites or blog posts or math, and you can figure out how long you're going to be working for your savings rate.
0: All right, so why don't you let our audience know how they can find you online, whether it's for financial reasons or for surfing lessons?
1: That's right. Uh, I, I generally do surfing lessons on Oahu. So if you uh, are coming to Oahu and you are wondering if you can surf with Nords, the answer is I'm down there anyway. So come on over, and if you've never surfed before, I'll teach you how. If you've been surfing, I'll loan you a longboard. Just let me know. Uh, my email address is nordsnords at gmail.com. I uh, actually rank fairly high on Google for the keyword Nords. Uh, and we're in the, I know. It's been seven years, ten years now. We're also on the first page of uh, search results on almost all search engines for military financial independence or military personal finance. Uh, the website where I do all my blog posts is called The Military Guide. That's the first part of the book title, the-military-guide.com. But again, you put The Military Guide into a, a search engine, you'll find it on the first page results. And please comment on the blog or, or send me an email or look me up on Facebook. My My Facebook profile, Doug Nordman, cleverly named that, is is public, and you can stalk all our trips on there, and you can watch all the pictures I'm posting every day now of our rental property rehab, and Mm. and the reason I do all that is to make sure people see that this is uh, a sustainable, even legitimate lifestyle, and that I'm not making this up and, and pretending to live a life of Facebook extravagance. This is really what we do and how we enjoy our life, and you can too.
0: Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I think this was a great discussion and really put a a great face on financial independence. For you know, that's just this strange concept. It's it's very nebulous. People don't understand what it is, and I think this was a great way to talk about it and to show that it is possible. And this is what it looks like, and it can look like whatever you want it to look like. So, thank you for that. You're welcome. All right. So if you have any questions for us, we are at adulting.tv. You can ask us at adulting.tv slash ask and certainly subscribe to our podcasts at adulting.tv. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. Quite a lot of us to go around. So thank you for joining us. And until next time, remember to act like a grown up.
1: Thank you for listening to adulting. Find resources for this episode or download other episodes at adulting.tv.